Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Ice House Fit Podcast. I'm Coach Jeremy. I'm Coach Mo. We're bringing all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and recovery to everybody in the Ice House family and beyond. I feel like this one's going to go off the rails. Hold on, everybody. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we started off having a good time before we hit the record button, uh, goofing around, having some shenanigans. Yes. And and now we're, now we're hit record. Here yeah. we are. We're going to bring that energy to you guys. I'm excited. So we're talking about coaching today. Uh, I feel like we've talked about like all the things we do, but uh, for those of you that have hired us, thank you. And um, for those of you who haven't yet, uh, we wanted to talk about like what we feel the role of a coach is, um, the importance of coaching, uh, maybe a little deep dive on how and why we got to where we are mm-hmm. um, from a personal standpoint, uh, but just have some fun with all things coaching. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to kick it off with? I've been toying around with like the definition of coaching. Yeah. So if you just Google it, it's like to coach or train someone. <laughs> well, I think that that's a, I take think out of it. That's a big confusion in the world of all things, fitness, wellness, self-development, business development of like, yeah, what, what is a coach and what can I expect when I hire a coach? Because it is for better or worse, not well-defined. It's not regulated in many yeah. ways, which allows for a lot of freedom, but it also allows allows for a lot of pitfalls. Absolutely. Um, or the confusion between coach and trainer or coach and personal trainer, or there's there's all kinds of blurred lines between all of those, thi- those things. So I think it's great for us to have a better definition of what we do for our audience. Yeah, and I want to take it back just for a moment because prior to 2020. My definition of a coach has changed drastically pre-2020 and post. And that just has to do with time and space. So mm-hmm. the the beautiful thing about 2020 is it gave us three to four months to like get through the panic and then breathe and like really evaluate things and really look at like what is the direction. And there's a path that happens. First off, I want to, I want to say that coaching is an absolute privilege. Like we have the privilege to serve people and serve people at a really high level. And we were doing, we were doing really awesome things pre 2020. I think the way we had outlined our gym, the way we had outlined, we were CrossFit at the time, 2019 is Mm -hmm. when we left, but we had outlined like, as far as the type of business we were running and the type of coaches we were, we brought education, we brought entertainment and we brought enthusiasm Mm -hmm. and those things haven't changed. However, the level of knowledge has changed. So, uh, looking at what we were doing prior, it was a simpler time. (laughs) No, it was a a much different style of coaching. Mm Right. It was get people excited, hit what's on the, the warm up sheet. You know, we had class prescriptions, we had uh, general warm ups, we had specific warm ups, we had coaching modifications, we had levels of fitness, could all be in the same class. Mm-hmm. And so it was very much like tee it up, crush it, walk away. Mm-hmm. There wasn't every piece of energy that you have to that hour. Yep. Right. And for the person coming in, there wasn't a lot of prescription outside of the gym. It was come in and crush for this hour, eat real food, see you later, Mm -hmm. see you tomorrow. And that was the expectation. And so really taking that space in 2020 to say, okay, what kind of coaches do we want to be? 
in the the blessing and the curse of the the prior model is it was from a business standpoint done on volume mm-hmm. right you needed to have in order to have a sustainable gym to to keep the doors open it was a numbers game mm-hmm. it was how many people can we get into each class how many people can we physically fit in the room mm-hmm. great that's our number yeah which is always interesting to me because you know, this is going to feel like it's a bash on those times or those business models. But when I got started at Ice House, in the culture of CrossFit, there's always this notion that it's not the global gym. Mm. And yet, when I take that look back, not necessarily at Ice House specifically, but I look at that because it's being a numbers game. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing the same business tactic in a micro version as your global gyms are. Absolutely. Where you want to get as many people that have memberships and never show up. And what's interesting is you wanted them to show up because it's less likely. The only difference I'm going to make on that, Mm -hmm. and this is probably my ego, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, soft talk acknowledged, is that in a globo gym, the membership is uh, so small. The fee is so small yeah. that they don't notice. It, it's not as inconvenient as a larger cost point. Yeah, yeah. I and so you you would want them to show up so that they got the quote unquote value that you mm-hmm. were providing. At least got some of it. Right, because it was so easy to quit at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I missed four days this month. It's not worth the value. Done them out because the price point was higher. Yeah. Uh, so. But I do like that analogy. That was good. I was like, oh, yeah. So looking at that and saying like, okay, I think you and I had the conversation and this is probably more information than most people need, but we had the conversation of like what, in order to live the lifestyle that we want to live, what does that need to look like? And that number of people in the gym was astronomical. Yeah. We've run those numbers many different ways. Yeah. It was like two floors, classes running on the half hour. One one and that was back when we had the third barbell space yep um so that we had open gym space there we had quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, quote unquote. and then we had both both gym floors running i think to possibly feasibly service the number of people that we had i think it was something like 20 class classes a day yeah at like a 150 dollars membership yeah and yeah. we needed to have yeah both floors yeah. running we had like 300 members, something like that. It was the number I, the number that pops in my head was 420, yeah. That sounds about right too. And I was like, oh. And for those of you <laughs> who have been to our facility, our parking lot isn't that big. Our parking lot is not that big. <laughs> Tractor would only for, like us for a little while. Yeah. If you've been there for an event, you know that parking becomes a thing. Yeah. 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 And our neighbors don't love us to use their parking. So, mm-hmm. um, it would have definitely been. And so I remember looking at that. I remember you bringing me a spreadsheet and we like diced it. And I was like, no, I do not believe you. And we combed through that thing 16 ways to Sunday. And I was like, oh, okay. So we should probably look at what we're doing. Yeah. The volume model isn't necessarily for us from, from a business perspective, a great perspective, like a great model for us. No. And, and then it's, also talking about exactly what I'm, I think you're about to go towards is when we think about the types of coaches that we want to be, Yeah. Um, at least for myself, is how much impact can I have? Mm-hmm. Can I have a large impact working with 10 people or can I have a mediocre impact working with a thousand people? Yeah. And I have been in classes of 35 people. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been a, a member at a gym where every class period 
the minimum amount of people was like 22. And for those, uh, for the people who haven't ever experienced that before, what did that feel like for you? It was really interesting because you would, you definitely had, I would say like a, almost like a click like environment, but Mm -hmm. unintentionally because, um, you would take your people that were more competitive and they would kind of group in a little circle in the gym. Their little clump over to one side. Yeah. They would set up in the same spot and then you'd have your people that were there for fun and excitement and all of those things Mm -hmm. would kind of clump. And then you'd have the people that were lost and they would be somewhere in the back. Right. And as a coach, I've coached some of those classes. It's virtually impossible to give value to the people that have been there for a long time Mm -hmm. because you are so focused on the new people and Mm -hmm. especially in the type of fitness. Right. So you've got barbells going around, you got people doing box jumps, you got people doing high skill movements that require high amounts of technique. Yeah. Especially when they're new. Right. They just don't have the skill acquisition downloaded into their brain yet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still all new. Yeah. And so you're trying to make sure that they're good. And that person that's been here, you know, your most loyal person mm-hmm. maybe would get five minutes of coaching, not even two minutes of coaching, one mm-hmm. cue. A uh, hello at the door sometimes. Yeah. You'd watch one lift, give one cue and be like, great, they're good now. Mm-hmm. I can keep going. Yeah. Right? And, and I've, I've remembered feeling that way in the past as well. You get to a certain point, you've been here for two years and it's a big class like that. You're like, yep, coach doesn't even see me. No, they just assume I'm good, mm-hmm. right? And then we go back to that value, Yeah. right? We go back to the like, as a coach, it's not an awesome feeling for the most part because you, you know you're doing it mm-hmm. and you can't see the way out of it, right? You can't see how can I let Sally or Billy in the corner just drowned. <laughs> I'm giving a, a technique to somebody who looks flawless, mm-hmm. right? But they don't feel that way. That was really the the gist of the conversation of like, how do we continue to service people at a high level? Mm-hmm. And that led us into who do we want to be as coaches? And like you just said that I would rather have a really amazing impact on 10 to 20 people than a mediocre impact or be known as uh, the fun personality uh, on a thousand people. Yeah. We sat down and we started looking at like, what is the role of a coach? And so this is a, maybe a sidebar from that question. Great. That's related to it. Yeah. Is at least for me as well, making that change from the, the large impact on a larger group of folks to narrowing, narrowing scope or narrowing focus or narrowing the types of people that I'd like to work with mm-hmm. or the types of problems that I solve. Yeah. It also allows me to be flexible in my approach in a lot more ways. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm trying to service a thousand people, there's, there's an economy of expected sameness. Like they want, they want a consistent product across all thousand people. So there's a certain point where I can't scale up my, abilities as a coach, I can't give more to a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And if I take that economy of scale down to 10 people, I can be a lot more flexible in my approach and give the person who's in front of me exactly what they need. Absolutely. And so for some people that could be really hard conversations Mm -hmm. for some people, that's actually pushing them harder physically for some people. It's just being there to listen and hold space. 
And that's the that's the biggest shift I believe we made as coaches was we were a fitness only space. Mm-hmm. We gave a little nutrition. Eat some vegetables, but here's your beer. <laughs> because we have it in the lounge, right? And like yeah. that's what we're gonna do after class. And yeah. every event was, uh, although that was a beautiful time, every event was a case of beer or more. Minimum. Yeah. Minimum. And, and so we brought a case of the, the gym brought a case of beer, and everybody else brought, brought their, their case. cases of beer. Yeah. <laughs> and that was even pre. That was that was in the new space. One point was probably worse and so when we look at okay yes that was fun and yes we made an impact the threshold of the impact the ceiling was pretty low for people Mm -hmm. yes they came in yes they got fitter and then that was it not a lot of things outside of the normal like you know maybe they started sleeping a little bit because they were tired from fitness they started eating a little bit more because they made the realization that like when i eat a little better i feel a little better in the gym and i can push harder to say that they were thriving to say that they were excited to be a human no or it was very short-lived yeah like in our last the podcast we talked about you know yeah. that three months yeah like they're they're living their best life for three months and then the first inconvenience happens or they get very complacent with it. Yeah. I was just listening to the person that everybody told me that I would really enjoy, Dr. Huberman. Uh, <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> I haven't fully dove in, but I was just, it's, it's funny because I was just listening to this and it's talking about dopamine releases and motivation in these yep. types of areas where we think of the reward is in the win, in the celebration. Mm -hmm. And in reality, the dopamine release comes through the struggle of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, we had the the easy win of those first three months because we're brand new at things. We're taking a new approach. Everything's exciting. Everything's new. And then we get into that grind where we get past that first easy milestone and we're looking towards the next one and the next one and the next one, knowing that it's much more difficult. And we're not having that immediate immediacy of dopamine fix. And yeah. then we, we start to get resistant to it. And so we saw that a lot. I've experienced that yeah. you know, back in the old days as well. 100%. Like, try this approach. Try the new thing. All right, cool. That's been working really great. And then slide back. Yep. Come back up, slide, slide back. back. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that's those were the things we noticed, right? And those were the, the direction we were going in. And so when we got to sit down and say like... What do we want to do? The number one kind of uh, easy target for a coach is to help people build confidence. Mm -hmm. Confidence and competence. That's Mm -hmm. level one, right? So being able to, the biggest, sorry, let me start that again. The biggest areas we've made improvement in is understanding that that's our baseline. As a coach, your baseline for your client is to build confidence and competence. That's in movement, that's in language, that's in lifestyle, that's in... Sleep habits, sleep routines, across the nutrition, board, four pillars, everything. all of them. The second layer of that is your level of communication and knowledge, right? So we have a saying uh, that we always need to be, at minimum, one chapter ahead. Mm-hmm. Peeling back the curtain, everybody, as your coach, the minimum is to be one chapter ahead of the person you're working with. Right. And so that gets fun when the person comes in with things that you've never seen. Mm -hmm. It's a new opportunity. Absolutely. And so you're now you're like, Ooh, 
The benefit of having full-time coaches is they have the time, effort, and energy to be like, boom, this is what I'm researching. This is what I'm learning. This makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Because looking back at you know, previous models, especially the CrossFit model, yeah, you, it's infinitely scalable is one of the selling points of this. Yeah. And there gets to be a point where, you know, we, we looked at things like overhead squats, barbell snatches, yep. when in reality, it doesn't have a, a direct carryover to real life fitness. And yep. that's coming from an Olympic weightlifting folk, coach folks. It's a big day. I've been saying that for a while. It was like, not everybody needs to barbell snatch. Mm-hmm. Where it becomes very easy as a CrossFit coach is to look at a person and like, yeah, that looks weird. Uh, they just need to do this. They just need to keep their chest up. They just need yeah. to keep their chest up. And their arms are bending backwards and their butt shoots straight back. And it's like, well, could we maybe take a look at, like, is the movement actually beneficial for them? Or can we change that to preserve the, preserve the Double stimulus, squat. whatever yeah. it actually is? Yeah. And then also be able to recommend some changes to their mobility patterns, or maybe they haven't done anything for their mobility, Right. period. I believe every person has this. They just don't realize they have it. When you look at a movement pattern, you can innately tell like, ooh, something's wonky. Mm -hmm. You may not know what, how, why. You can look at a pattern and be like, "Mm," that just like, it doesn't feel right in your soul. You're like, "Mm, mm, mm." nope. (laughs) Also, as an an Olympic lifting coach, if you go and do Olympic lifting in a commercial gym, you'll get all of those looks. It's like something's off. I don't know what it is. You gotta break your spine. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Please stop. Please stop now. But I believe every, like, even if you're not a coach, you can look at human movement and be like, ooh, that's, mm, I don't, mm." and we're going to take out the hypermobile people. We're just going to take out the people that are moving in a, in a, in a gym setting. The second problem we ran into was there is no time to help those people Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the class. So I, for the longest time, was solely against personal training. I'm like, if you can't fix it in class, you're not a good coach. Mm-hmm. Then I started coaching classes of 35 people. And I'm like, great. This is, I'm wrong. <laughs> very wrong. <laughs> very, very wrong. And so looking at, like, how can we help solve those problems? The first step was education, right? Like, we need to be educated in the ways to solve those problems at 17 different ways, mm-hmm. right? A coach should have a, a toolkit. And that can go as a benefit and a detriment. So a coach that has a toolkit that doesn't know how to apply the toolkit is just throwing the same thing at a problem and hoping it sticks. That's Maslow's law. Yeah. If you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. (laughs) Yeah. And and so it's the art of coaching is understanding like what cue, what movement, what's going to help. And you're going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. At some point, You're, it, it's just the way it goes. Every person, like I could use 10 people come in. This is all work for those 10 people. The 11th one comes in and I've blown them up and they're in more pain than when they came in. And I'm like, crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And so, Or the one cue that's always gotten everybody to do the thing you want doesn't make any sense to this one person. And they stare at you with the blankest stare. Like yeah. they're just like, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's the you're speaking a foreign language, you're saying words that, <laughs> like, I hear the sounds, I don't understand any Do not make any sense. Yeah. And so that's where that, like, so confidence and competence, then it's like refining knowledge, mm-hmm. right? A, a good coach needs to be able to continually refine their knowledge and continually be able to solve higher level problems. And so when we were looking at, you know, like, what are we building? Let's start with a physical. We can solve, I, I would uh, put our ability to solve problems at the top. 
-hmm. People walk in the door with all kinds of different physical ailments. We're able to solve, if not understand that we can't and help them in a different way. The second thing we looked at was, and we talked about this a lot last week, was that reoccurring behavioral thing. Right. So just like Jeremy talked off, we'll watch people for three months gain and then come back, gain, come back, gain, come back. Or they just hit this eh phase. The malaise. Yeah. Like I'm fit. I show up. I do the work. Eh. Yeah. And so that's when we realized that like, okay, we can solve high level physical problems. How do we solve high level eh problems? Mm -hmm. Right. And we could have been like, well, they're fit. That's our job. End of story. Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of people out in the world solving the problem of, eh, right? Feeling stuck in your life, feeling stuck in your job, feeling like there's nothing, there's nothing to really look forward to. When we, when we ask you what your goal is and you go, I don't know. Oh. Yeah. You're there. Yeah, that is key number one, that like something's off, yeah. right? If you don't have even the inkling of what your dreams could be, yeah, that's a that's a big old red flag for us. Yeah, and we're creating a, an environment where we want to help you achieve those things that you don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. And we were running into the problem of, I care more than they do about their own health. Yeah. And... Partially that should be set, right? Like as coaches, we generally deeply care about humans thriving, mm-hmm. right? The amount of times I've stared at a computer screen and an email or a text message or a program and I go like, if they just cared about their health as much as I, I did. did. <laughs> <laughs> and so that led us down the the behavioral, the, I'm going to say like mental spiritual space. Mm-hmm. Right. The how do we get people to see a North Star? Right. How do we get them to even start to have the conversation? You can have your own personal values. You can have your own personal direction. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if I am headed down path Y, but what I see is path Z. Mm -hmm. That is where we get to have the most fun because we help you bridge to path Z. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not a tomorrow thing, right? Like it's a like, okay, we're on this fitness path. Great. We're going to add in another, another branch and we're going to help you start to make those small changes. So it feels like a seamless, ooh, now I'm over here to Z mm-hmm. and you wake up one day and you're like, shit, yeah, actually I'd like to go to A and we're like, great, let's bring you back. Right? Like, like mm-hmm. let's pivot. And so that's where we knew we needed to bring in things like, like you're, if you look, listen back to our goal setting podcast, I'm going to combine that with vision casting, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can help you start to allow yourself to dream, which then allows your, you to open up to the idea that something else is possible. Mm-hmm. And then to say those things out loud and to understand that the, the, the thing at the end is not the thing. It's one of the milestones on the journey. Yeah. And that's where as good coaches, we can start to have the conversation that like, this is life. There is no end goal. Mm-hmm. There's an end stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's not an end goal. And 
this is one of the hardest things. It, it, it took a lot of personal work for me because I would get to the goal and I would have that drop off. Mm-hmm. You get the cell, like, just like I was talking about with the dopamine, you got the, the surge. And in reality is that the payoff from a, like a neurochemical perspective, it's already done. Yeah. Like you don't get more of it because you're no, no. longer going through the struggle of it. You, no, it was you like, achieve the thing and you didn't even get the payoff during the celebration of it. Yeah. You're actually getting the payoff while you were doing while it. While you were doing While you're it. stuck in it. Yeah. And this is like, uh, if you've ever been a high level athlete. Um, like on a team sport. Individual sport. Yeah. Like you got to the college or higher level. There is such a drop off that isn't talked about. Mm-hmm. There is like, I I would say the average college athlete, if they don't make it to pro and continue on in their sport, has a two to 10 year period of who am I? Well, it's the same thing. Like this, this goes beyond even, we're going to get real nerdy folks. This goes even beyond uh, the athletic piece of this. Think about like, this is sociological. Absolutely. I'm just using it from my own experience, right? Like looking at people who... You know, combat vets or people who were 100%. in the middle military, same military thing. Is deeply different, like more severe. Yes. Yes. But because a lot of that comes out of that shared suffering, yeah. everybody's going through that process together and everybody's getting those massive dopamine hits as mm-hmm. you're going through the tough thing and you get to the other side, you're like, oh, okay, cool. And then if you take that piece away, then what? I don't know how to make that struggle for myself anymore. Yeah, my my brother and I were having a beautiful conversation about this over the weekend, over the holiday, because he um, is a combat vet, was a combat vet, and talking about how much money. So in the military, it's money. In in athletics, it's time. Mm-hmm. How much money is spent preparing them? In athletics, it's time. How much time you spent preparing? Like I had posters and dreams and goals of college athletics. That was the top pinnacle. Early '90s, there wasn't WNBA. There wasn't there. Maybe you went to Europe if you knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Mm-hmm. For the military, it's money. We're going to invest a ton of money to get them to be a soldier as quickly as possible. And then either their for those their time in the military is ended, whether by choice or whether by you know, contract, yep. whatever that is. There is no more money spent to decondition that person. And and for athlete, there is just the time is done. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere else to go. So I imagine the military is such a harsh drop off from all the reasons that you've just spoke about. I'm not military. So please take this from like a non-military person talking about military, all of the shared suffering, but that condensed time you went from being, I'm going to use a right after high school person. You lived your high school life. Maybe you had the thought of a military, maybe a recruiter popped in and you're like, mm-hmm. cool, that seems like an awesome place to go. Within four years of a contract, you lived probably eight lifetimes mm-hmm. in the amount of things you did, saw, heard, felt, all of those things. You lived double, if not triple a lifetime. And then one day it's done. And you're expected to just go back to how you were at 18 years old, fresh out of high school or wherever you were before you went to your first a swearing in ceremony, going to your boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. And, and take everything you learned and just deal with it. Mm-hmm. It was cool to have that conversation with my brother because he's like, and then you toss in the fact that you're never supposed to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It is, I don't know if there's a code somewhere or what it is, but you're never supposed to talk about it. We as humans 
I imagine don't have that capacity. And it, I mean, it's, it's the ripple effect, right? There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of organizations. I think the last number I heard was like 50 to 60,000 organizations help to help veterans. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if we could just spend a year with them post enlistment, how crazy that would be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can also, uh, this is a big tangent too. Everybody. Uh, yeah, rant <laughs> tangents. We can see this in, in, in many populations. Again, you can look at prison population, like, yep. but the, the interesting thing that I said that I heard you say was talking about how you're not supposed to talk about it. Yeah. I would be willing to venture that you also didn't talk about the drop off after college athletics. No. Because you also just don't know. You don't know. I mean, there's, you know, coming out of the military, there's the obvious shift and change in the identity. Mm-hmm. Whereas with athletics, you're like, well, you know, I'm still an athlete, quote unquote, but I'm not actively being athletic. Yeah. And so, eh. Or there's there's less of a, an importance in that identity shift yeah. from a cultural standpoint that also allows that to not be really identified as a big shift and change. Where people are like, well, I'm going to just go and do the things I did in my sport or take that same approach of my sport into a corporate lifestyle. Yep. And then running into problems where that doesn't really jive. Yeah. And really feeling lost. A lot of times you can tell the, the, myself being one of these people, I can remember the first time I walked into a CrossFit gym and it was go hard, go fast and don't look back mm-hmm. because that is what I had done my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that worked till it didn't, mm-hmm. right? That worked until, oh man, my shoulder hurts. Or like, why are my knees not getting any better? Mm-hmm. They did for a period of time because they learned to squat to full depth and they like they were forced into it. Not because I worked on mobility or had anybody just tell me it was just the there. weight pushed me there, right? And the cool thing that happens though, this is what I love. And this is a journey that happens with coaches too, I believe. Let's just talk about that first. The journey with a coach is you start coaching classes or you maybe start as a personal trainer, whatever it is, you start to see there's something more. And you start to see like, okay, why are, why are people running into the same thing? You're hearing the same problem over and over and over again, the same question. Yeah, you, there's, there's also something about the group environment where you start to see how people like almost link up. Mm-hmm. Like it's fun to watch on a jump rope day. Like if you've ever watched those, like, uh, I'm going to screw this up, but it has like a ball on each end and you like tap one ball and it starts going backwards and then they all like link up at some point Mm -hmm. that happens in a class. And it's like, you start looking around and you're like, this is wild. Everybody's in sync. Everybody's in sync. And for me, that's what was really like, what is going on? Like you start to notice how, how movement starts to sink, how language, because you're in your own tribe, right? So language starts to sink. So then you're like, hmm, you start looking internally and you start to notice, like, why do I keep running up against the same problems? Mm-hmm. I should know better. That's what really opens us up to that behavioral piece, that limiting belief piece. It's a weird transition. It also like, quote unquote, weird. And then it starts to happen in the gym. People start to see it. The ones who see it stick around and start asking a lot of questions. The ones who don't see it hop from thing to thing, to thing, to thing, to thing, Mm -hmm. and internalize it as possibly I am broken, right? Mm -hmm. Or nothing ever works for me. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, 
at some point people start to see their own common denominator -ness. Like no matter where they go, the same thing keeps showing up. Mm-hmm. And so to have a coach that has the ability to help you make those small changes to then start to look at the deeper picture. That's where I believe you and I started to be like, I want to coach that. Mm-hmm. I'm in for that. Right. Which required a whole different set of skills. Yeah. Like for me, and we'll get into the, guess this is a great time to get into the, some of the background. Yeah. Like for me, talked about this before i studied music in school i was on the artsy fartsy path i was on the military path actually for a while i was ready to um, make the jump and accept a uh, nomination to the air force academy that i declined and decided that i wanted to be involved in arts and music Mm. there's a detour to germany there for a year (laughs) that's a whole other thing speed bump yep (laughs) and um through that i was looking for something that I, i couldn't quite put my finger on I wasn't athletic. I didn't, I played football one year and I hated it. Mm-hmm. And it was like seventh grade. So does it really, in, in North Dakota, does it really count? It's like Fair. flag football and like fifth or like five-year-old peewee flag football in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, like I wanted to have an impact on people somehow. Mm-hmm. Cause I was on the education track. I was like, how can I help people? How can I support people? Yeah. How can I help nurture their growth and development? Yeah. And through that, worked retail, worked in technology, and then found fitness. And that became the very obvious and easy route to help people for me. Mm-hmm. And then there becomes a point where you're like, I get bored easily. That's ADHD bored brain. <laughs> like I gotta have 30 things running at the same time. I'm not saying that there's a limit to the physical where you can help people, like because you, many people in the world need physical help with their yep. fitness and their health and exercise. I feel like we've we've uh, drugged CrossFit through the mud a little bit here. Like there's an opportunity for everybody and there's a, Absolutely. a, a, a modality for everybody. Yep. If it's fun for you, do it. Do it. Have fun. Mm-hmm. But where I found was that there's just, there's, there's a ceiling to it. And there's only... There's only so many problems that I can solve when I'm only focused on the physical being. Yes. I had a great experience of, it was very recent in this regard, just the beginning of this, about a year ago now. Mm -hmm. I was introduced into this mindset thing that we do, the words and the stories, and was introduced to the system, was told it was open source. So I was like, all right, cool. I don't have to get certified in this. I can just try it. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to try it. And I took that simple four-step system, worked with one of my clients and said, hey, I have this new tool. You're struggling with the thing that I have a tool for. I have a tool for. Are you open to trying this? And we're going to fumble through it together. And they were absolutely down for it. I mean, with some reluctance. Absolutely. Because we're talking feelings and feelings. stories yep. from the past and divulging yep. your deepest, darkest secrets. Not the most fun thing for most people. No. Not the thing that people are clamoring to come in the door for. <laughs> um, and we worked through that. And that was the light bulb moment for me. It was at that moment, it was the single most powerful coaching experience that I had. And you can actually yeah. see 
the physical shift and change in the person. Yeah. And at that moment for a good long while, it actually changed their life. Yeah. Changed the trajectory of where they were. Yeah. And where they are today. And so I was like, hmm, okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> I'd like to know more about this. Mm-hmm. And so then go through the certification process, going through the process for myself and having the realization that for me, what led me to even starting to exercise was something more mental, emotional, and spiritual than it was anything physical. I talk about this in some of my workshops when I give my origin story, Mm -hmm. is that I had a moment where I was working with um, my manager at the time. He's a very attractive man. He's like male model type of material. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting next to each other, waiting for a video conference. You see the little preview of yourselves. And I saw him next to me, I saw me. I was like, wow, we look like Han Solo and fat Chewbacca Mm -hmm. getting ready to take off in the Millennium Falcon. And I was like, something needs to change. And I don't know what. Yeah. And so that's when I went into, because I didn't like the physical aspect. Yep. Uh, I was emotionally eating. I was trying to fulfill a lack of connection to myself and a lack of connection to others with alcohol and food. And yep. I wasn't moving. I was sitting at a desk all day. Yeah. And so the, the, the fitness aspect was my gateway into that. And then going through the process of working my stories, changing my language, I went, crap that's what I actually needed that's what I actually was looking for but I didn't know who knows how to ask for that and like who knows how to articulate that right and to be able to pinpoint that that's the thing mm-hmm. right and I didn't even know that that was a possibility before I found this type of work mm-hmm. right I had no idea that like Oh, I'm, I don't know vulnerability because I was never shown vulnerability and that's a thing that you can be shown. Mm -hmm. Right. Or gosh, I really protect all of my feelings and put myself in a little bubble by using food. And we talked about this on our nutrition podcast the other day, the, the psychomat, the psychosocial reasons for nutrition are astronomical. Right. And so when we can really start to connect with people on that level and say like, Hey, I have this tool. Are you willing to take the deep dive, Mm -hmm. take the look behind the curtain, see where some of the things that you've been holding on to that are running the show, see where, you know, it's, we can come back and relate this to movement. At some point in your life, you learned how to squat. You knew how to squat from zero to most people, six, seven, eight in our society. Mm-hmm. So you get past kindergarten. So pre-kindergarten, you know how to squat without even it being a question of how to learn how to squat. It's just innate in us. They just do it to pick something up. Yeah, look at little kids. They hang out down there for days. We introduce chairs. You learn the ability, lose the ability to squat unless you keep doing it consciously, mm-hmm. right? And then we have to like unlearn for most people that come to our gym, they're in their late thirties, early forties, sometimes fifties. So from kindergarten to 40, we have to unlearn. 35 years of programming. 35 years of movement pattern, right? And it's always fascinating when people are like, why is this taking so long? (laughs) 
you did it for 35 years. <laughs> and it's the same thing in weight loss as well. Like, Absolutely. Did you wake up yesterday? 30 pounds, pounds overweight or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, oh. it's going to take you, if, if that was a 10 year cycle, not saying it's going to take you 10 years to get back down. No, give yourself a year or two. Yeah. You know, like let's, let's, let's get a little realistic. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at like, okay, it's, we've been in this pattern for 35 years. The same is true for you mentally, emotionally, spiritually. If you, the last time you had a good cry was on the playground when you were 10, when you have your first cry at 40 years old, the floodgates are now open, mm -hmm. right? And, and you get to process. It does not take very long. It feels like forever. 35 years of stuff that you've been holding on to when you didn't need to hold on to it. You've claimed it was yours. You've said, I've got this. And now as a good coach, all we do is help you open the door, help you feel safe while that door is open. Mm -hmm. That is one of the most transformational things in our coaching practice that has made the biggest impact for me, not only personally, but for the people that I work with, is um, when I approach this because I like knowledge. I like knowing things. I mm -hmm. like learning. Um, that I, and I still find myself in this trap very often. It's a pattern. I recognize it mm -hmm. of being the coach with all the answers. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> tells you they have all the answers. Like they're, they're compensating for something. Yeah. And admittedly, that's what I was doing. Yep. It was like, I'm trying to prove to you that I know the thing Yeah. because I'm insecure. Mm -hmm. If they're asking a lot more questions than they tell, especially in those situations, because yeah. nothing's worse where you're going through you're going through a, a tough time and somebody tells you what to do. Yeah. Like, you're never going to want to do it. No. Really, it could be great sound advice and you're going to be like, nope. Yep. You're like, thanks for rubbing salt in my wound. Yeah. But if you ask questions, and so us as coach coaches, that's our practice is being able to ask hard questions, ask interesting questions, just asking questions, period especially when we're talking about mental components. There are likely some people in the audience that don't like when I say this, but like, you know, the answers, mm -hmm. even when you tell yourself you don't know, you do know. It's one of my favorite questions to ask is what if you did know? Yeah. When somebody's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, what if you did? Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, I get this, like, like the dog, the head tilt. <laughs> I get this like little head tilt and that's the thing that, that allows us, that, that differentiates what we do from what a lot of people are doing right now, mm -hmm. is that ability to hold space and ask questions. And there's not a lot of things that shock me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody, two things, when you share, when you open up to a coach, they should be able to hold space. Second thing is acceptance is the first rule, mm -hmm. right? And the coolest thing is no matter what you're going through. So all of the, the stories that are in your head, everyone has them. You are what, what makes it so terrifying is you feel like you're the only one that this has ever happened to. And I've been there. I've been like, 
this happened to me a lot, especially in business, because my role shifted drastically in 2020. And I was like, take my power, tell me how to do it. I'm out. I'm going to take no personal responsibility. (laughs) I'm out. Right. And learning that about myself, I am like going to, you know, gym owner conferences, listening to people now. I'm like, holy shit. I was not alone. Mm -hmm. This is like an epidemic. (laughs) There's a room for a thousand people with the same exact problem that I have. Yeah. It was the same thing when I was going through my, my mindset certification. Yeah. We, we work on something called the Billy story. And it's that inner critic, that inner voice that tells you all the things that you don't want to tell everybody out loud that you say to yourself. Absolutely. And you're hearing everybody read their story out loud and you go, oh shit, they got that too? Yeah. Or that sounds a lot like what I wrote, or that sounds even better than what I wrote. (laughs) I identify with their story a lot more than with what I wrote. Absolutely. And it helps you, like, that's the coolest part about the group piece of this is it really helps you refine, like, what, what it is you're working on, right? Like, oh, that's actually what I'm feeling. And I didn't even know that I could get that articulated in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and even like something is interesting because we talked about this in my uh, latest workshop. Yeah. You know, I was in the artsy phase that I talked about. Yeah. I was a swoopy haired emo goth kid. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and when you're there, you tend to have a lot of feelings and you, you do the journal writing and the, Oh, woe is me. And you're, you're, you're living in that kind of taken on misery. Yeah. To, you yep. know, you're in your late teens. It's just yeah. how you're moody and angsty and all the things. And then you just embrace it and turn it into an identity. Yep. And then there's whole genres of music around it. Yeah. But you're like, you're having that same exact feeling. Like I'm the only person that's ever felt this way while consuming nothing but media that tells you the exact <laughs> thing that you're, you're, you're like, oh no, they just wrote that song just for me. I'm the only one that's ever heard this song. Yeah, ever. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Never read this uh, person before, but yeah. I'm it. And looking back and seeing the ridiculousness in that. Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm looking, I'm actually actively searching out things that perfectly articulate exactly how I'm feeling and acting like I'm the only one having that experience. And it's it's so crazy how like our human brain is is designed to do that to us, mm-hmm. right? To design to like nope, you're it. That's it. That's all there is. And like it's it's we are hardwired for joy and abundance and and love, right? And the th- thing that I think a lot of people run from or are afraid of or can't see yet, joy, abundance, and love. Because mm-hmm. the unknown. Absolutely. And it's, I was just talking to a person, the other, a good a good friend of mine the other day, it feels like you're, when you let go of identities and you come out as this, as your true self. For me, it feels like you're on like, you know, those suspension bridges that are like, two by fours hanging above the, the, the jungle. Oh yeah. It's like, you can, <laughs> you're just like holding on like, Oh, this is who I am. Right. Okay, cool. We're cool. We're still cool. Okay. <laughs> and so it's been fun to like experiment with that and to tie this all back. Cause this is the most tangenty podcast I think we've had in a while, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Um, one of the, the reasons that we have chosen to, to, to shift the gym this way and to shift the gym into a more, holistic version of people we're taking the things that worked 10,000 years ago applying technology and watching people thrive and some of that technology is just a simple question 
a simple question, right? And so one of the greatest roles of a coach is to be a mirror and, and to help you see you. And when they can do that in the whole version of yourself, really amazing, cool things can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that, any other notes on the I was like, I don't know where we from here. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And if you have questions on what we just talked about, I'd love to answer them. This is like, I think Jeremy and I could probably do 10 hours on. I say this is, this seems like a part one yeah. of uh, talking about the role of a coach or the, the relationship of a coach, because both of us, we've, we've, it's an ever evolving state for us as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where I alluded to when you're, when you're creating mass consumption, it's really hard to change Yeah, or it can be very hard to change because everybody's expecting one product. Yeah. When you're more nimble and agile to use a buzzword, it allows us to make those shifts and changes and really apply what is appropriate for the person in front of us. Yeah. And being able to do that, like you said, is an absolute privilege. And it's, I've had moments as a coach, especially with the mindset work where I'm sitting in my office, wearing a tracksuit, drinking coffee and listening to somebody read a story. And I get to sit and go, this is the raddest life I could possibly live. 100%. Somebody here is going to see a massive transformation for themselves. And I just get to sit here and breathe and ask questions. Done. Uh Uh-huh. Sign me up. Yep. Absolutely. So with that, we'll bring it to a close. Thanks again for hanging with us this week on the Ice House Fit podcast. Give us that review. Give us a, a rating. Share us with your friends, your family members, your coworkers, anybody who would enjoy what we're talking about today or might be curious about it. If you have questions, please reach out to us. And until next week, I'm Coach Jeremy. I'm Coach Mo. Have an awesome rest of your day. Bye.